Welcome to season two of the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. Our goal for season two is to enable our listeners to make smarter decisions based on real-world data and behavioral psychology. Join us for more holistic conversations and discussion about sales compensation and sales force effectiveness that will improve the lives and careers of both current and future sales comp leaders. I'm your host, Nabil Alazam. Today, we're thrilled to have Kat Wellenty, a sales compensation enthusiast with a deep specialization in incentives. She's a senior manager of compensation and incentive strategy and operations at HubSpot, a leading name in the tech industry. Throughout her career, she has been an invaluable asset to mid-sized growth mode organizations, bringing her expertise and passion for optimizing compensation structures. Kat, thank you for joining. Super excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I really am excited just to be able to participate and share compensation with everyone. I feel like I shared this in the past. And to me, I grew up in the sales comp space by accident. I think most of us kind of land here by accident. It's not something that you think about of, of aspiring to be when you're in grade school, but it's certainly a very rewarding role. I'd love to kind of maybe get your story and how you ended up in the world of sales comp. I, like you, just by happenstance ended up here. When I was in college, I was actually a theater major. I wanted to be an actress and I happened to also be good at business stuff. So like accounting, I was very good with numbers. And after getting out of school, I decided should probably not go the starving actress route, the safe route, and ended up doing kind of a slew of different things between accounting and HR. And it's really couldn't find my niche because I enjoy being with people. I enjoy talking with people and really satisfying that theater side of me, creativity, but I also have this number side of me. Like I like to nerd out on a spreadsheet. And so it was really hard for me to find this balance of like, how do I get the best of both worlds? And one of my past bosses, she was the chief HR officer for a SaaS organization, saw this in me and she was like, I think you should do compensation. Like, I think you'd be really good at that. And I was like, sure, okay. And started there and then eventually got into the sales side and found out that there was like, even more excitement in that where I got to be creative with numbers and identifying neat ways or different ways to solve problems that weren't always the same answer for every question or problem that you have. Like you have to solve in different ways. And then I found out it's like different across industries too. So it was just like this wild world of a really cool niche role where you get to really be creative and use the right side of your brain along with your numbers and strategic side of the brain that's more like operational. And so like combining the two, is, it's a really cool space to be in. It really is a analytics combined with people management because you're still managing a lot of different stakeholders across the organization and then point of like creativity and strategic lens to incentives. That creativity, I think the need to bring to sales comp is really driven off of the fact that Incentive alignment is so critical within an organization. And there's really no single way. You know, there's an infinite number of ways that you can come up with structures to incentivize. And so how did you shift from the accounting and finance background into the sales company? I guess like, how did you find that shift and the ability to kind of all of a sudden take on the persona of understanding how a sales rep operates and how you, how you motivate them? So I would say it was a really easy shift from finance because I'm not a finance person. Like I found out very quickly that like accounting was not my thing. I had to live within this world of left side versus right side and like balancing the equation. I was like, this is not fun. I don't like this. There's nothing, you know, no creativity in this. And um, there's a lot of rules. 
And so I think really when I moved into HR and was in HRIS, tech, you know, the technology, the ops of HR, the compensation of HR, it started shifting that world for me, kind of putting this different lens on, you know, this view of you can have creativity within this world of numbers. And that shift to me was a lot easier to go to sales comp because I got the part, the people part of it. I got exposure to the business from the lens of people versus the lens of numbers. And I think that really helped me because I talk to finance people all the time and they really are seeing it from the view of how do the numbers work? And I think the value that I can add is that I can say, well, there is this psychological aspect, this emotional component to sales comp that is not just driven by numbers. You're talking about people. You're talking about motivation, behaviors. It's very psychological. It's not just creativity and strategy and numbers. It's it's a lot of people. So I think for me, that pivot to like understanding how to motivate a salesperson really came from my background in HR and having to have that understanding of job descriptions and what each role does for an organization and also like the design of organization, like how does each role play into the next? So I feel lucky in that I got to come at it from the HR perspective versus finance, because I think it just definitely shifted how I approach the role in general. I agree with that statement fully around, it's not just the numbers thing. It doesn't matter if it makes sense logically, the reps and the seller need to understand it. And you know, you and I spoke about this briefly around the fact that it's a very emotional charge topic compensation because it's someone's livelihood. And if they don't understand how we're rolling out this new incentive, even though it makes perfect logical sense, there's now immediate frustration and pain that you have to deal with. And so I agree, kind of having that lens to be empathetic to the people side is tremendously helpful in the world of sales comp for sure. And I think you make a good point about them understanding. I think that I will say like in my last role, we we spent a lot of time explaining the math behind the calculation itself in the numbers. And we finally pivoted to this thought of like, okay, if I'm a sales rep, what will make me feel good about this? And so we transitioned our thought of like going from, okay, this is the equation. This is how the math works. And this is like, why don't you understand this? We have parentheses, parentheses, multiple, you know, all these things to a simplification of if I'm a sales rep, and I want to go home and tell my husband how I've landed this big deal and what it means to my family and to my child and, and us. Is it a trip to the Bahamas? Is it is it just like paying for the year of daycare and like not having to worry about it? Like whatever the case may be, how is that explanation for them? What does it translate to? It's not numbers with parentheses and the calculation. That's not what it's about. It's about how does this translate into my livelihood? And so I think that was one of the key things that was like a pivotal moment in how I understood how to execute on a solid comp plan and that you can have the best comp plan in the world, but if the person that is impacted by it doesn't get it and can't explain it to their significant other or to their father, you know, whomever, then it doesn't mean it and you've lost them. And then that great comp plan is the worst comp plan. So that's a, like a really great, like just like you saying that is just, you know, very impactful of things that we have to do. We can't, we're not just numbers strategy where we have to think on the other side. Sales is a very difficult role, right? 
in some, most cases, 50% or more of your personal take-home income, your on-target earnings is, is at risk. And in the world of sales, you make one mistake in that sales process and you could lose the account. Right? Like in a lot of cases, like in roles within an organization, you can make a mistake, you can recoup it, you go back and readdress. But in a sales process, you don't have a guaranteed path to recovering from mistakes. And so a lot of effort has to be put in. And, and I say this because to your point, it's if the seller understands, if I understand how I'm going to be paid and what the consequences of not doing a certain thing are, or what the upside is of putting that extra effort at the time where it's critical in that deal, they can understand it. They share that with their family. Their family understands it's going to be a lot easier for them to be able to put in that extra effort where it's needed and truly kind of get the full buy-in and motivation of that big prize that they're, they're working towards. And I think it's very easy to, to create these plans where the sellers don't actually know. You know, the number of times I've been on calls where the reps find out after the quarter end that they were only a few thousand dollars away from this next big tranche. And it's a shame because it's like, that would have been a motivation enough to push them yeah, to get friend. something else. And your point is spot on. I'm curious, so how did you build that into your communication plan when rolling out? So at HubSpot, we do this really cool thing where we take the rep's point of view. And so we go through, we call it the emoji chart. And we actually assign rep perception by emojis. Uh, we, we pick three and it's positive, neutral, not going to be well-received. And we literally go through every single operational change we're making. And this is, you know, not just comp, but quota and territory and like all the comp the components that we are going into for the planning season. And we say, all right, what do we think? Like, and we go through and we do a rep perception emoji chart that gives us, it's the guidance of how we package the communication. And so, you know, we know, okay, we're, we're going to have like three frowning faces in this section one positive and like a couple of neutrals. So like, how can we position it so that can we put it together with another component so that we get the best motivation out of it during like the kickoff and uh, the the communication component? So it's a process of really putting yourself in the shoes of the rep and saying, okay, how am I going to react when I hear this news? And then how do we say what's in it for you? So we we kind of do this whole series of like, Here's what we're doing. This is the impact it has. What's in it for you and how HubSpot's going to help you achieve this thing. So that's kind of how we position it. And I wish I could take credit for that. I can't. We have a wonderful chief of staff for our sales leader and she came up with this idea. And this will be our second year using it. And it's done really well. It's brilliant. Just putting you in the mindset of empathy with it's the seller. Curious, has it changed since like implementing it? Has it changed the way that the sellers come to the comp team with questions? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, like most of the questions we get, there are like more operational questions. And so it's, we're getting questions from the the reps. It's why is my pay not right? Or it's like, well, it's not that it's not right. This isn't what you think it is. You know, that kind of thing. But I, I don't expect reps to come with us from an, a place of empathy. Like it's their pay. That part, 100%. I mean, this is where I think this role in the world of sales comp, and as we touched on earlier, it requires this very unique kind of set of skills to be successful. And you have to have analytics, people management, and strategic lens to be successful in the role. And it's kind of thankless because no one's going to come knock on your door saying, thank you for getting my pay, right? Just like I've never personally, when my class emailed payroll team and say, thank you for doing payroll. It's just kind of expected. But 
at the end of the day, it's one of those interesting things I'll share with my one experience. We had rolled out these dashboards, and this is again a while back now, but it was when I was in the role of kind of being that cop administrator myself and, and actually managing the role of these reports that just showed reps where they were going. And what I found that over time, it started having the sellers reaching out and saying, I'm about to close this deal. What would it look like if I structured it this way versus this way? Very interesting. I was like, yeah. okay, like if you build that motion enough, the selling organization sees that the comp team is thinking about it like they do. That encouraged the two-way feedback of, hey, I'm about to structure this deal. What would it mean for me? And then in that situation, it's almost like the ideal state because you're building a comp plan to drive specific behaviors and deal mechanics. If you can get reps thinking about those deal mechanics and really looking in, you check the box of purpose. But that's where my question came from. I've never been in an organization, I would say, small enough for them to reach out directly to me. I had hoped that that happened. So at like the director level or the manager level, I will say we did we did do a spiff recently that was on discounting and it had a, a big impact on how reps were thinking about discounts. So I, I think there are certain things that we can do that, you know, we are doing and implementing that are really like intentional on driving a specific behavior and changing a behavior. And it's really cool to see when those things happen for sure. You can see radical shifts if you get the radical. right incentive structure, right? But obviously the consequence of the same token is like, you flip it, it can also get a radical shift in the complete opposite way if you don't do it right. And so again, the positives and the negatives of working in Silicon. But to kind of backtrack a bit so to your journey and how you got here, you said something earlier, it's like that it's, you got to shift across lots of different industries and you've yeah. seen it at different organizations. And now obviously working for HubSpot, which is an amazing company and discussions that you and I've had in the past. But like, I'm curious how big of a shift was it? And what were the bigger insights that you got from every one of the transitions that you've done in this role? I think industry specifically, like my last organization was industrial manufacturing, like selling widgets essentially to industrial construction companies. And I remember walking in my first day and I had been in SaaS and I was transitioning out of SaaS and um, was coming with an open mind, but Really was used to living in the world of recurring revenue and bookings and net new only, not really stall based. And stall based lived in you know the account management team. And so when I walked in my first day, I just remember walking in and looking at my boss's whiteboard, and there was a lot of GM, you know, gross margin on the wall. And I was like, Why are we talking so much about gross margin? And that was what they were measured on. Um, and it was net gross margin. So it was like they had a book of business and it was the gross on top of that, but it was all gross margin. So that was an interesting shift and in just like understanding that different industries measure different components of financials. And then on top of that, it's like there are different personas within the different industries and different ways you work. So in SaaS, everything's pretty fast paced. You work very agile. Everyone has a new idea they're coming up with and it's just like very fast paced and you say something and it pretty much is out the door in a week or two, right? So like it's very fast paced. And not that it wasn't fast paced in industrial manufacturing industry, it was fast paced. It was just a lot more thoughtful, I think, on like one, we're taking this 75-year-old business and like we have our sellers and this is what our sellers do. And it's like, well, we want them to do these other things. And so it was more like, how do we shift behaviors by, by like on a quarterly cadence? And then 
it was very like slow, broken when I started there and not really like, what are we trying to get them to do? But like, this is how Ebola has done it. And this is what they're measured on kind of thing. And so I think luckily it was exciting to get in there and be able to have this SAS background where everything is so fast-paced, but like taking a minute to like stop and breathe and think and learn and digest before jumping in was really helpful. And I think then like moving back into SAS at HubSpot, it's like I brought that with me, like, let's stop. And so like my first year, I was like, I'm not going to make any recommendations because I need to like understand the world that we're living in and what we're trying to do and what we're driving and what our five-year plan is. And so I've evaluated and I took the year to really understand everything as much as I can because there's always plenty to learn. I definitely don't know everything about HubSpot and I don't want to allude to that because I don't. But I took the time to really learn that part of the business and understand, listen to leaders, what they're looking to do so that I can help build towards that. And so I think one of the things I've brought from that, from being in a different industry is just like, let's just take a breath. Let's look at what we're doing and think about what we're trying to do instead of just being like, oh, this is an idea, let's do it. <laughs> it is a journey. There's no like, do this one thing and that's it. We're set for the next 10 years. Like, you have to constantly evolve and you have to do it methodically. Knowing, okay, this is the North Star that I want to get to. It can be a very big distraction if you do the wrong thing in sales yeah. comp and having to walk it back. Like you can kill a quarter's worth of sales effort and productivity just having a bad rollout of something that doesn't drive the right behavior. And now all of the, the risks it puts on the go-to-market organization, whether it's attrition or lack of focus. A part of that is, and we talked about it just a little bit ago, but like intentionality, really thinking about making change for the sake of being intentional versus making change for the sake of change. And I think it's so easy to get locked into this world of like incentives drives everything. And we have to change the comp plan. Oh, we want them to do this. We have to change the comp plan. And so I actually think the opposite. I think less is more. The more stability you have, the more comfortable your sales team is going to be and the more they're going to understand what we're driving towards. But if we keep changing the goalposts on them every time you get a chance or throwing a spiff at them to like, you know, do the same thing that the comp plan is doing, anything like that, you're going to, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be confusion. And so one, simple is better and two, consistency is key. And so I think I really, when we're talking about comp changes, it's very much like, why are we doing this? What is the outcome that we're looking for? And let's be really intentional about it so that we're not upsetting the apple cart for no reason. There are time and place when you want to kind of rip the Band-Aid and make a radical shift. And those are very, very select moments in a business when you need to re-pivot the go-to-market organization that drastically, but comes at a big cost. So I think your point on intentionality and kind of the long-term vision, and when I've seen it done the best is when the entire go-to-market organization is kind of seeing the roadmap of, in three years from now, we are going to pivot from this metric to this metric. And we're going to do this rollout or changes in this way. And that way they're not in December being like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get paid on this deal next year. So I'm going to pause. That is a real thing. I, you know, not having the comfort to your point, how am I going to get paid on this is a very big distraction to the selling organization. So either minimizing change or giving a lot of transparency when those changes are going to happen well in advance, I think is definitely critical. And it's hard to do because you're like, you don't want to throw something out there too soon because then it starts the rumor mill. And, you know, you have to be careful with all that too. I mean, then again, it goes back to like, 
it's not just about being analytical and being strategic. There's a massive stakeholder management component of this. I mean, we talked about this. You have HR, finance, sales, operations, all of these orgs that really depend and you need to bring to the table when designing or rolling out any comp structure. So curious at like how you manage and how you've seen that kind of transition over all the different companies and experiences you've had. My biggest joke is that I had like answered like seven different bosses. So, you know, I build relationships and have conversations regularly with the finance team, the HR comp team, the HR business partners, the at the sales operations and uh, strategy team, the rest of my team, you know, my planning partners and the sales leaders. And then like, I actually do CS as well. So I have the whole other thing like on the CS side and also kind of bridging the gap between those two is also a struggle in itself. So I think I've definitely matured in how I think about bringing all of those stakeholders to the table. I think early in my career, I, I didn't understand the the landscape of like bringing everyone along and and really pulling that together to be able to say like, it's not just about the sales leader wants. It's actually a combination of all of these people because all of these things are touched and they play a role in where we land. Now, I think one of the things that I do really well is I build relationships with those people and I, I bring them along. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. I, you know, I will admit I don't get it right every time. And like just this year, I've had a hard time, you know, on my CF side, bringing people along and getting alignment. And so it's not always an easy thing to do, but I think it's incredibly important. And I think more than anything, my job is really to bring all of those people together and get them aligned. And, you know, I have my, my agenda and I, I've literally told my my boss like this year, we have, you know, a list of seven different things that is on the table of like things we could do for comp. And I'm like, if we get in these top three things, if I can get everybody to agree to these three things, I will feel amazing. I will have done my job this year. And that's my job is to really play that kind of political role. I hate to say political, but it kind of is. It's like, getting all of these people together and aligned. And it's definitely something I've had to learn over the years. It it was not something where I just walked in and it's like, oh yeah, like build relationships with people and like understand how they fit into the puzzle. That that was definitely a learned skill over the years. So there's so much complexity in how you actually execute on comp, how you actually turn a bill into a law and effectively to bring all these different stakeholders whose job is not to do that. They have to have buy-in and they have to be aligned, but you almost have to simplify it back to a level where in grasp and, and you need to bring it all together so that incentives across the organization are aligned and everyone's moving in the right direction, which is, it's not easy because at the end of the day, what we, what we need to put in front of our reps needs to be simple and well understood. And I think I've seen it many times where different parts of organizations have different competing interests and you can't simplify it. And now the plan looks so complex that the sellers actually, you know, they don't understand it. And as a result, behaviors that we wanted to, to come out were not no, not the ones that we're actually seeing in the field. I'm curious, did you see a big difference between some industries or others in terms of how the collaboration with sales and other parts of the organizations, is that something that you've seen? There's a lot more alignment required at HubSpot and, and not just HubSpot, I think just like we're a larger SaaS organization. Um, you know, when you're working for a company that has 700 people or 700 employees, 300 of them are sales reps. 
it's a lot easier to just go sit in a room with your CEO, your CSO, a couple of financial analysts and say, okay, like, and then like your sales leader and be like, okay, like this is what we're going to do, right? Like I did do a lot of driving alignment at smaller SaaS organizations and building that relationship and, and working towards alignment from everyone. But at the end of the day, like once we kind of got like some high level changes fleshed out, we literally went into a room for a couple of days and we were like, okay, key stakeholders are the people that are at the top of the company because we're a small company. And so it was a lot easier. Whereas now I would say industry difference, um, still a lot of alignment required, but I would say less um, time spent with HR really. You know, it was more finance had a seat at the table and then sales leaders. And then I was on sales ops. So, I mean, it was still, you know, you had to get them all on the same page. So I guess I did spend a lot of time doing that. So I guess it's the same across organizations and industries. But I think at HubSpot, you know, we have 8,000 employees. So our rep base is pretty large. And our sales compensation plan or commission plan is is pretty simple. Um, There's a lot of nuances around the other things, the benefits that go with it that kind of roll into the HR world how we're paying against market, finance, like what are we looking to spiff on? You know, like there's just a lot more to it. Whereas like maybe we go to the reps with a very simple plan, but like all of the other things around it and getting there are the things that make it very complex and complicated. It is not a linear problem. I think the larger the organization gets, like exponential because there's more variables at play. And ultimately sales comp is this optimization problem you're going to have to compromise on something. I can't incentivize every behavior because then I incentivize none. So you're constantly optimizing within teams, within segments. And the more variables, the larger the organization, the harder the problem becomes. And so that's kind of a common thing for sure in terms of scaling and size. I'm curious over your career and experiences you've had to date, what's the biggest insight that you'd want to share from your learnings over your career and all, across all the organizations that you've worked in that you want to share back with the audience? I think it would have to be one that like, first off, sales compensation is a very niche thing. And because of that, you don't know when you're getting into it. Like I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I just had to ask questions. And even to this day, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm stepping into. I have to ask questions to understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're going to do it. And there's no dumb question because the thing about compensation is that there's no right or wrong answer. And the big thing is like at the end of the day, you want to drive a behavior. You want the outcome to be that you've incentivized someone to take a second to think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And so I think, you know, as us as compensation leaders or professionals that, and maybe some of you aren't, like maybe you're, you know, the finance person that got handed this beautiful silver platter of delightfulness of sales cops, or maybe you're the HR person that's like, I don't know what to do with this. And the best thing you can do for yourself is just ask questions, take notes. And the other thing I would say is like the jar, like the lingo is different everywhere. Like I told you at the beginning, I walked into my role in this new industry and we were talking about gross margin. Like, why are we talking about gross margin? You know, and it was because that's what we hang on. And so you'll hear a lot of acronyms or 
things that might not make sense to you. And the best that like when I started, I had a notebook and I would just like write down and I would like go Google what it was. We were talking about attainment and this was very early on. And I'm like, attainment? I was in compensation for HR. And so I was used to like putting together full pack, OTE packages, which was another one on target earnings. You know, set up. You know, I didn't know what attainment was. And so I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, it's what you achieve above your quota or of your quota, right? And so, and then there's, you know, there's just all these different lingos and things that are just very specific to sales comp. But if you don't know it, if you're not in it, you wouldn't know it. And so like the best thing you can do is take note, you know, write things down that don't sound familiar, GTS. Also ask lots of questions because it's just a world of, creativity and really excitement. Like you get, I mean, like I, I get really excited just to talk about it because there's just so many cool things you can do. And I, I think one of the greatest things, the most value I've gotten from my role over the years, why I keep doing this, because as you said, it's a thankless job. But when I make a change and nobody has to say anything about it, like it, it's not getting it from somebody else. That's like, we make a change that is so significant. It's the littlest thing. And it has like maybe not a huge impact to the rep, but it makes the biggest value and adds the biggest value or changes the behavior so significantly that you can see the benefit to the organization and the benefit to the rep. That makes my day. And yeah. that's why I keep coming back for more. And they don't happen often. They don't happen often because we don't change plans often, but they do happen and they're, they're pretty amazing. I couldn't agree more. You have to be close to the business. And you have to understand, I think that's the biggest difference is in accounting, you can go from one business to the next. You got to balance the sheets. You got to, you know, obviously you have to understand the business, but it's not the same level as I need to understand why is it, okay, we're tracking gross margin. Okay, well, I need to understand that as a metric, but what are the drivers that will drive a seller to increase gross margin versus not capture that, bake it into how we think about incentives. And I couldn't agree more. That exact point when you make that change and you see what the impact it can have on incentives and ultimately like the impact it can have on behaviors that are driven through that incentive we've seen it where it's simple change to comp structure can drive a massive lift you know i think the biggest example i've seen is like going from an 80 percent ish retention rate to close to 95 percent and seeing that shift overnight to a different business all of a sudden on paper yeah. business yeah. when when you have that big of a shift and that is a very positive feeling to get when you can, you know, you see all the effort that you put in to drive that outcome. But it doesn't happen unless you understand. Like I said, like, not just asking questions, but taking your time before you make changes is, is a big one. And I think, again, one of the, the great things about being in sales comp and not being like, you know, I'm, I'm on the sale, the RevOps team. And so, again, I don't sit in finance. And I honestly wouldn't want to sit in finance. I don't want to sit in finance. And I don't want to sit in HR. I like being in sales op because I'm looked at as part of the team. I'm one of them. I'm not, if I'm in finance, I'm like just looking for it to cut and dice, you know? And if I'm in HR, I'm I'm looking to like figure out how I can like do the people side of things. But like as sales ops, I'm a partner. I'm with you and I'm here to solve the problems for you. And so I think having that access to the business and having that trust that I can gain with the leaders it really, really important. And it's the only way you can really do your job really well. I'm not saying that finance, if you're sitting in finance or HR, you can't do your job well. It definitely, I think, helps being in sales ops. I've had similar discussion with another guest on the show where 
Well, actually, it's been a common theme, whether it's you know, Stephen from Blue Yonder or, or others within the show where you have to have a seat at the table, at the planning table and the strategy table. And if you're in sales ops, I agree. It's like you're already there, part of that team, and you collaborate very easily. If you're in finance or HR, I think you really have to push and make a very concerted effort to be at that strategy table and be a part of those discussions. Otherwise, there's too big of a disconnect. And it's then very hard to actually implement the right strategy at the right time. And it's already hard. It's already hard being the comp person and getting a seat at the table, building those relationships. And I just think it would add like just one extra level of difficulty to the mix if you're sitting in those GA kind of roles where you're more of a supportive player for the organization versus for sales. It's definitely not easy. And I think but it's worth the push because you can have a massive uh, impact on the organization. To kind of shift into a topic that I want to get your perspective on and kind of the future world of sales comp. So for me, I think in my career of being in, in the world of sales compensation, it's we've operated very much in a similar way. And I think you look around us everywhere, everything's becoming more individualized, more personalized, more tailored, whether it's social media, whether you're logged into LinkedIn or I'm logged into LinkedIn, you know, we're seeing different news feed, a different feedback loop. Whether you're getting consumer incentives, you're getting you know targeted through personalized advertising tailored to your past your experiences. And yet in sales comp, we design a single plan for every single seller, which again, part of the structure. I, I'm curious, how do you see the future evolving over the next 10 to 15 years in the world of sales comp? I think it'll be faster in SaaS for sure. I mean, our company is talking about AI every every other day, you know, so like it's it's huge. And I keep hearing murmurs of not just in the in the industry itself, like just in sales comp, of use-based compensation plans. And I feel like that's a world where I could see like these individualized kind of unique plans where it's not a one size fits all. The biggest thing you have to worry about is like how clean is your data, right? Like if you have good historical data to create those insights, to build those plans, I think that's how you would get there. But the other part of it is it also has to be equitable, right? For everyone. So there's like that tricky part of it. But I mean, I definitely, you know, I know we briefly spoke about it, but I mean, that's where the world's headed. You know, it's it, it's inevitable. I don't like their sales comp is not going to escape it, right? And not that we should. I mean, I run into the problem all the time. We're like, we're trying to build a plan that's equitable for everybody. And, you know, one size fits all, but we've got all these different segments and we've got all these different geographies and we've got different people doing different things. And like, should we do install base? And should we do hunter farmer? Should we do, yeah, there's like all these different things. And then at the end of the day, like the way it is today, I can't have 12 different plans. I can't operationalize that, but I could if we had these cool technologies like that are going to bring us insights from the historicals of a unique person. I mean, at the foundation, I think it needs to be equitable. I think the whole premise behind variable comp is pay for performance. And if you're not truly measuring performance and paying for it, then is it an equitable plan? And I think this is where you know, the other thing you said around like the quality of the data, if you are going to individualize and, and same thing with consumption or usage-based incentives, you really have to be confident that the data that you're measuring on is accurate and you're incentivizing the right behaviors. But I think that the foundation is you have to collect the data and you have to put in the effort today to yeah. build a structured way to collect that data so that in five, 10 years, when this shift is happening, whether we like it or not, we have the foundation of data that we can use 
for many years. It's not just a single point in time. I want to have lots of data to use to actually drive drive that outcome. I'm curious, are there any other trends or, or any other things that you're seeing today in comp that you think are going to come to fruition in the next five, 10 years? I think every other day I'm going to, I get an ask for, to make an exception. That's not a unique thing, right? And I'm sure every person on here, I, I feel like it's more and more now than it used to be. I feel like it used to be people just accepted their plan. That's what it was. And then, you know, the rules were the rules. Unless there was some like really outlandish thing that happened, like you just accepted it. And I think people are done accepting like things as how they are because you're, you're right. We live in this world of very specialized communications and social media and like they're driven just to your likes and dislikes and all that. And so like, I think that it just becomes more part of like the business too, you know? And so I think the next five to 10 years, the exception will be that there's no norm. I had this conversation earlier today and my response right now is always, we can't build a plan around every exception because then we have 20 different plans or we have so many rules in the plan that we have that it's overcomplicated and we're not solving for anything. It just like, what are we solving for? You know? So I think as we move forward and if we do see this world of, you know, unique individualized experiences, that's kind of what we'll look at. We'll see. I think I think the other thing that would be cool is like kind of the gamification view of adding that into um, like everyday sales. Tell me like, can you imagine like coming in as a salesperson and today you're, you need to get X number of deals by doing these things, like, you know, these using these buzzwords. I don't know, something like, something like that, but where it is like where you're running like individualized spiffs daily Based on like gamification and to drive, you were telling like driving like 12 different behaviors across the organization, like pick your story kind of thing. Like, can you imagine that would be wild? Yeah, power of it is insane. And it's there. I mean, like yeah. a lot, you know, kind of the, the best example I've seen gamification is distribution business where you know, it's a more disposable, consumable type of recurring business model. And the reps have the ability to kind of continuously push their customers. And so just setting like badges for accomplishing certain threshold of revenue per month. No financial incentives tied to it, but those badges now become kind of the badge of honor. Like if I don't get a minimum badge, then it's seen as like, I need to get that. And creating that no different than, you know, in every interaction we have on a consumer level, it's games, whether it's like our loyalty programs, et cetera, the gamification side, it just drives a motivation in a different way. And I think it certainly can be an interesting add-on to the world of what we do in sales comp. And I think it's under-leveraged across a lot of organizations, for sure. I know one thing that I, I want to really push for and at HubSpot, and this is, I love to test, initiate it with Flywheel, which is what we call our um, our go-to-market team. But because I have sales and CS, I want to do it on both sides. But doing some type of point system where you can receive points instead of doing like a whole bunch of like cash shifts or whatever, but doing like this whole points system where you can roll out games or you can you know give pure awards or you know whatever and then you can translate those points into gifts or you know whatever you want. I really want to dive into that world because I think it just opens up a whole nother opportunity to push behavior shifts or even like camaraderie between different teams. Like, you know, pre-sale, you know, you get a point if you bring a pre-sales person into your deal that's above X threshold or whatever. Or, hey, like if you sell a service 
or attach a partner or, you know, something like that to this deal, like you get five points and your partner that you did it with will get five points. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I think it would just open up a whole other world of interaction between teams that might not happen today because of those conflicting metrics. Our sales team is selling. Their, their job is to drive revenue, bring it in. And our CS team is responsible for holding on to those re- that revenue and retaining it. But that doesn't always like line up with each other. <laughs> Sometimes it requires the CS team to offer more of a discount or to say like, I hear you, like, let's cancel this thing and like go with this other thing. And that's a bad thing that ends up being a bad situation for a sales rep. And so, and vice versa, you know? So it's like we have these conflicting things that really make the whole picture great, but it can be very difficult to get everyone on the same page and rowing in the same direction. I love that idea. It's fantastic around like, again, having another lever to address. And as an example, that, you know, the, there's always going to be conflicting interests and how do you kind of create different ways to solve some of these, but a point system, being able to leverage incentives across the board, not just in the final outcome to kind of a true enablement. Curious if there's anything that else that you'd want to share with the audience, any other learnings or anything else before we wrap up the show today? The best thing that I can tell for all my sales comp buddies out there is really just simplicity is key. Keep it simple. There are a lot of perspectives. There are a lot of people with great ideas. And I'll also say everyone thinks they're a comp expert. Some of them are, some of them aren't. But at the end of the day, like it's your job to pick the right direction and go. And so I think pulling all those things together can be very overwhelming. And you can say yes to one thing and say yes to another and be like, well, this doesn't make sense when you pull it all together and say like, really? One, keep it simple, number one. And then two, I think the other thing is it's our job to be the voice of reason in a world of chaos. So I had just in the past couple of weeks, like we're in planning season and it is full blown right now. And so I've got U.S. corporate directors asking me things. I got SSO from Japan asking me things and they like, they have certain things they want to do. And, and I'm like, God, I'm just like asking for all this stuff. And I took a step back. I took a breath and I was like, you know, they are all focused on their things, their jobs and their geos and their segments. And it's my job to take a step back and look at the whole picture and say, what works for everything and everyone? Because we aren't specialized yet and we aren't doing the AI thing. And so it's key to have an equitable plan that's fair and is operational for everyone. And so, and keeping it simple. And so like, it's like, keep it simple, but also remember to yourself and that everyone's thoughts come from one world and your world is much bigger. And so it's a puzzle. It's all a puzzle and it's and it can be really overwhelming. And so like take a deep breath, ask your questions, because sometimes like the answer is not what you think it's going to be. I, I think I asked like, I right, said so, like, what, why do you want to do this thing? And the answer is sometimes well, wow, because you're like, oh, wow, I did not even think that would be why you want to do this thing. And so Taking, you know, a step back and thinking about the perspective from the whole view, I think is another really important thing because it can be very overwhelming, especially during planning season. No, it's very well said. I think you're always point asks, pointed questions relative to the broader view that we get to see in the world of sales comp across the entire organization is spot on. I think just before we wrap up, we'd love to ask questions question I ask generally across the board. Are there any books that you would recommend or a book that you'd recommend to other sales comp professionals? 
I don't read a ton of like sales compensation specific books, but I will say like, I honestly, some of the best books I've read are like more leadership focused books because even if you're not a leader of people, you're a leader of people in your role and having the ability to understand how you lead and self-awareness of like how people perceive you and all of that kind of thing is is always very helpful. I read a lot of books in my master's program when I was doing my master's in HR. We had like a whole thing on leadership and I read some really good books. I think Brene Brown is awesome. Like you could read pretty much any one of her books, um, but Dare to Lead is always a great one. But there's a lot of also assessments that I would recommend you do that are can open the door for like understanding your personal self and how you present yourself and how people perceive you. And so I would recommend any type of like assessment like that that you could do to have a better understanding of yourself is also a great thing to do. It's not a book, but it's definitely a good read. I agree. They're very powerful, actually. And it's something where if you do it within your team as well, it can be very powerful at driving how you engage and set up the working structure across the entire team and how you engage with other stakeholders. Because a lot of, again, a lot of sales comps we talked about is stakeholder management and yeah. hard to do that if you don't know yourself. Use desk at, at HubSpot and uh, it is very fascinating. I have a counterpart in finance and we, we literally like our job is kind of broken in half where she's like operations and I'm the strategy component. And both of us came from the same industry before at competitors, which is kind of funny, but we both did everything in our role. And so then we came here, our roles are broken apart. She's a C, so she's very like analytical and like very like looks at everything. And I'm an I, so I'm an, an influencer. Um, and I am more the bubbly person, I guess, uh, but has the conversation and stuff. And it's so fascinating because you talk to, I have another one that's like a D, which is like the dot, you know, very um, direct kind of person. So like we all are very different and work really well together. And then some of us don't work well together because we are the same and that's even more fun. But it's really fascinating. It does help like understand how you work with others and how they work with you. And there's like a couple other ones that are really great, but um, I think DISC is the most well-known one. It is really interesting though. It's a great feedback point. Even if you don't do a broad across the entire organization, just sitting within your comp team, this could be very powerful because you do need to operate with a very efficient structures because of the volume of tasks and the timeline pressures, et cetera. So any tool set that you can apply to kind of increase that efficiency is tremendously yes. helpful. But no, this has been great. I've really enjoyed the discussion, Pat. And thank you for, okay. again, sharing. Well, can I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. Have a, do you have a book that you would recommend? I would agree that it's not necessarily specifically sales comp, yes. but I think... Something like Influence is a book around kind of incentives and just broadly this behavioral psychology behind how we get influenced on a day-to-day basis across the board. And so it gives you a little bit of insight to sales and, and a bicycle, but also kind of see some great ideas and fundamentals from a design of incentives perspective would be one book. It really differs. If you ask me tomorrow, it might be different based on like what comes to mind based on the books. But I would say yeah, it'd be a good book to read. Regardless of whether you're a sales cop or not, I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, that sounds like, I mean, I love the name of it. So I definitely will have to go check that out. I'll put it. I'm not, I'm not much of a reader, actually. I'm a listener. So um, I do better listening than actually physically reading. So I do audiobooks a lot. Likewise, it's a good use of time, especially if you're commuting or doing anything else like that. Yeah. Basel, thank you for answering. I'll have to go check that out. Thank you for being on the show. Again, I felt like I grew my career early on by learning from peers and think this is a very much an apprenticeship type of role in the world of sales comp. And so thank you for giving back to the community. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. 
The Sales Compensation Show is brought to you by Forma AI, the first sales compensation platform designed around the agile methodology of CompOps. To learn more about how Forma AI can help design, execute, and optimize your sales comp strategy, visit Forma.ai. Find us by searching for Sales Competition on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. On behalf of the team here at Form AI, thanks for listening.